Thank you. It is so wonderful to be with you this morning. And I was here, oh, in the old building. And now you transformed into this quite a while ago. And it's great to be with you here. And I was here another time. So it's, I've always loved this congregation. And you know what I've loved the most? Is how you care about the city. You care about the community. You care about the province. And you care about the world. And that's who Jesus is. And you're Jesus people. And I'm grateful for that. As I looked at, on Family Matters, it says, and that line up there says, single, married, young, or old, a place for us all. Well, that's in the scriptures. That's how the church started 2,000 years ago. And it, sometimes it's good for us to just begin to say, wait a minute, what is the church? We get all caught up in the institution and, and what it is, but let's just take a little look today at the beginning. In John, the 20th chapter, we find that Jesus, before he ascended, he said he breathed on the disciples, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Now, they didn't get that. Many times, God speaks to us. We don't quite get it at that moment. And some translations are this, as the Father has sent me, the Father has sent the Son, now the Son sends the church. It's us as a body together, not just every person out running around doing their own thing. It's a body of believers together. And so that day when Jesus said that to the, to the disciples, they didn't know quite what was going to happen. And then they were told to go to a room upstairs, and they were told to stay there until something happened, until Pentecost came. They didn't know what what was going to happen because for centuries, Jews had been going to Jerusalem to celebrate the giving of the law to Pentecost. They never expected anything to happen. They just did it. I often wonder about that, and myself too. How many times do I go to church, but I really don't expect anything to happen? It's going to be kind of the same thing. But that day, something happened. And I find it, I mean, I, just kind of a little cynical thing, but I've always wondered, there were 120 people in that upper room. They were there for 10 days, and there were no showers. Have you ever thought about how that must have smelled? <laughs> and that day when that, that wind blew through, the scriptures tell us that fire sat on the disciples' heads and they were cleansed. Now, they had work to do in that upper room. They needed to seek forgiveness from each other because they'd really been upset with Peter. He'd abandoned them all. They didn't like each other on several things. They were critical of each other. But you know what the scripture says? That finally they became in unity. Now, it didn't mean that they all agreed on what everybody should wear, but they agreed on they wanted to follow Jesus. And my friends, that's where God's people, when we are in unity on what God is calling us to do, and I love the worship this morning, I love what we sang, and the power and the remove the mountains, God wants to do that. And when we agree on that, that we don't care what color the carpet is, you know? We don't care if the seat flips up or down. It does flip up, doesn't it? <laughs> but we're more concerned about what God wants to do, what mountains he wants to take away. We will see those mountains removed. And so that day, they were in unity and the wind blew through. Now, they could have stayed there. Now they liked each other. They could have stayed in their nice little sweet small group and not let anybody else in their little small group. 
I'm sure you never have problems with that at your church, but some churches do. And they love their little small group, and they don't want to leave it. But that isn't what happened that day. They were out of those closed doors, out on the street where the, where the, the um, historians tell us there were some two million people from every known language group in that world in that day, 2,000 years ago. And they were out there, and they were telling the gospel of who Jesus was. And then Peter started this, these great words of a, of a prophecy that was in Joel. And I have it up on the screen. Uh, Acts, the second chapter, verses 17 and 18. Read it with me. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now the word prophesy means telling, speaking, preaching. You see, there's no, now this is saying men and women will do this. Old, young, people who are servants. It didn't matter your, uh, your ethnicity, did not matter your gender, and didn't matter your social standing. All people. This is the body of Christ. This is the church. Now, I want to say something about this. We, when Jesus breathed on the disciples, we find the breath of God is also the Holy Spirit. And we can go back to Genesis where God breathed on the chaos of the universe and creation happened and God speaks and God says, this is good. And then we can move on and God breathes again on those old dry bones in Ezekiel. And those bones start connecting and God breathes, or God speaks, and God says, this is life. And then God speaks all through the Old Testament. He thunders out of heaven and says things. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus, God speaks through Jesus, and Jesus speaks. But do you know what is very interesting on this day, this very day that Peter's speaking to two million people out there and telling them, and they all understand it in their own language? You see, this is sometimes called the reversal of Babylon, or of Babel. They all got mixed up. But when we come to Pentecost, they all heard in their own language. And so, but you know what happened that day? God chose to put his spirit in us. And he has chosen for the last 2,000 years to speak through us. He is no longer thundering out of heaven. He's chosen with the power of his Holy Spirit in us to speak through us, to speak to the world the good news of the gospel through us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were God, I would never have done it that way. Because I would have never trusted us. I mean, I would have wanted to be in control. How about you? Yeah. I don't know if I really trust. I don't think I can trust them. So I'll just be in control, and I'll just keep, keep a few little people that I really like, and I'll let them speak, but I won't. No. God has given us that great opportunity. So it's interesting what's happened in the world and what's continuing to happen in the world. So that day at Pentecost, here were th first day with 3,000, next day 5,000, and finally they got to the place they could no longer count them. I would love that, Joel. And great to be, I love your pastors, by the way. They are fantastic. Don't you love them? I would love it if I'd hear someday, you know what? Joel would say, Joanne, there are so many people coming to church and so many people touched in Moncton. We can't count them anymore. What do you think about that? Is that possible? 
Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. That's what God wants to do. And so from that, people, the, they went from Pentecost out throughout the Roman Empire. And one of the people that was there, her name is Junia from Rome. Junia was there, and she went back to Rome, and she said, we're going to start a body of believers. We're going to start Christ followers, believers in Jesus in this place. Now, the culture of Rome was not friendly to what Jesus had taught. Rome, the Roman culture was, was, uh, did not value life in any way. If you had a child that was disabled in some way, you would throw that child on the side of the road and hope somebody would either kill it or it starved to death on the side of the road. That's what the culture was like. They did not, they had violence was a major piece in the culture at that time, loved violence. And the games were filled with violence. And the more people killed in the, in the, in the arenas, the more they loved it, violence. Great disparity between the rich and the poor. Poor lived in big tenement houses and the poor were in really terrible shape. And in fact, the density of the population of the poor in Rome at that time was four times what it is today in Calcutta, India if you can grasp that. Yes, and here they were, and here were these new believers, and they started thinking about what Jesus taught. Jesus said, every person is valuable. No, we're not gonna throw away children, no matter what's happened to them. We're not gonna throw them away. Abortion was very popular at that time, and many, many women had even died from abortions and would find, would find where they were. Marriage was not a value at all. In fact, there are uh, accounts where a man would have been married 36 times, married to a woman 26, who'd been married 26 times. I don't think I've ever run into that one. Marriage, no value whatsoever, and women were thrown away. Suddenly, word began to spread that this body of, this group of believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, Christ's followers were doing something. You know what? They were going out on the side of the road. They were picking up those children that had been abandoned. They were bringing them in. They were giving them life, these dis disabled children as the, that the parents thought they were, giving them life. God was healing them. They became followers of Jesus. These women who had had many abortions and were nearly to die, they came in. They were being followed. They were being brought up to follow Jesus. The poor in these big tenement houses and, and sores all over them, they would go out to them and do healing and bring them in. And they were, became followers of Jesus. And do you know what? The church started to grow. These people became followers of Jesus. It's interesting also, at one point, there were a lot of immigrants that came into Rome, and they didn't like it. The Romans didn't like them, and guess what the Christians did? They went out and started teaching them the language, started bringing them in. The church became a church of immigrants that began to grow and grow and grow, and you can follow it. It's amazing all the things that took place. At one point, there was a plague that came, and many historians believe that it was smallpox. They would throw the people away, they'd throw the dead bodies away on the side of the road. The Christians would go and give a proper burial for these people. Then when people had symptoms, they'd throw them away. They would bring them in. There are accounts that the Christians never got the plague. This is an amazing thing, and you can read about it. Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, outlines this. He's a professor at Baylor University, even more in what I've just said. But do you know what happens? This is the power of God. This is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in you, the power of God that does this. And the church grew and grew and grew. And then we find other women who also, we, we, they asked me to speak a bit about women this morning. Lydia planted a church in Philippi. She was a businesswoman. And the church there grew. And we have uh, uh, Phoebe at Sincrea. And then we have uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And we have all of this. Now, it's interesting. As you move on, yes, persecution started happening. 
203 was the first, pers- the first martyr. Her name was Perpetua. She was a 22-year-old young woman. She was a follower of Jesus. And her family, she was from an aristocratic family, and you can look her up. And her family said, no, you can't. You've got, just please bow down and worship the emperor. No, I can't. I'm a follower of Jesus. I will not bow down. And they, she was nursing her baby, and they would bring her baby to her and say, just nurse your baby, and this will keep you from you. Just, all you have to do is just once. Just bow down to the emperor. And her father came, and he said, have mercy on my gray head and my family. You can't do this. I mean, I look at this, my friends, I don't know if I would be able to risk my life for that, but she did. Her writings are still in existence today. And they threw her out to the animals in the arena. And the animals came at her and tried to gourd her, and they would stop before they got to her. And then they realized these animals weren't going to kill her out there. So they took her and laid her on a, on a slab to, to stab her heart. And as the man came down with a sword, he missed her. Finally, she took his sword in her hand and guided it to her heart. This is what we call, and Paul talks about this, risking your neck for the gospel. He talked about this with uh, with, um, Priscilla and Aquila. They were people who risked their neck for the gospel. This is the power of God, too. But I want to tell you, as historians have told us, by the year 300, 40 to 50% of the entire Roman Empire was Christian. This is how God works. This is how he moves. This is how he's moving today, in fact, throughout the world. In the country of Iran today, there are so many people coming to Jesus that they they can no longer count them. Now, that's a country that is very excuse me, very closed. But you know what? God doesn't need a visa to get to Iran. God is speaking in the Muslim world through visions and dreams. Millions are coming to Jesus every month, literally. And the recent studies say 75% coming through visions and dreams. I was in a meeting a few years ago with Paul Eshelman, the founder of the Jesus Film, and he said that they'd been to the Middle East, and they'd opened up, they'd prayed and prayed for the right venue to show the Jesus Film. This was not an easy place to show the Jesus Film. And he said, uh, that night, they, the prayers that had gone in, and I just love the praying that you're doing and what your pastor just shared about the praying happening, just meeting to pray, no agenda, meeting to pray, God will give the agenda. And as they, as they were there, Suddenly, as the Jesus film started and was in a few minutes in the film, 10 men in different parts of that auditorium all stood up at the same time and said, that's him. He came to my room last night. And all of them had experienced the same thing. Their room filled with light, woke them up, and there stood Jesus. That night, that entire auditorium of 1,000 people became believers in Jesus. He's doing this over and over and over and over through various places. I was just in the country of Azerbaijan this past April, and there one of the women leading a, a doctor who's leading one of our cell groups. I said, how did you know to come to Jesus? And she said, I've been, there's been something that's drawing me and drawing me and drawing me, but I can't figure it out. And I'd heard Jesus' name, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And she said, I was in Vienna to a medical convention, and while I was there, she said, uh, I got lost and I couldn't find my way back to the hotel and no one knew my language. I was standing on the street corner and this person came up to me beside me and started speaking my language and and the language she speaks, not many know it outside that part of the world, started speaking her language and said, 
I will get a taxi for you. Where are you going? Blah, blah, blah. And a taxi came for her, and she turned around to thank the person, and they were gone. You see, God sent an angel. She said, I became a believer in Jesus, and I cannot tell you how much I love Jesus today. And her studies, and she's le- I was in her Bible study that particular night as I listened to her. God, I could tell you story after story how God is moving radically in the world. But I want to thank you. You know what? That church in Rome reminds me of you. As I heard about your work in Babaco, and you know what? You could have said, well, we've done our bit. We're leaving. Those mudslides came and wiped away many, much of the work that you had done. You could say, well, now, wait a minute. That's not a good return on our investment. But I want to tell you, we don't do the work of God for return on investment. The investment is eternal. And I heard someone the other day say, well, I'm finished with Haiti. They have all those earthquakes down there and everything. I'm finished with them. And I thought, wait a minute. God's not finished with the people. They can't help it that they have earthquakes. Where are we? And we find through the scriptures always, we have been told to give help to the poor and surround them and be with them. And that's exactly what you're doing. And you're you're lifting them up and, and helping them to be sustainable. And I couldn't help but think also, when I was thinking about Haiti, and I was thinking about women as leaders. In Haiti, we have the most wonderful young woman leader. Her name is Pastor Leah Dominic. I first met Pastor Leah a couple years ago when I was down there. She's a pastor. She's ordained. She's a leader. And so she was telling me she was so concerned about all the tent cities all over uh, uh, Haiti and that they needed to hear the gospel. And she was taking the Jesus film in to all of these tent cities. And those are rough places, my friends. People don't just walk into those tent cities. There are gangs, there's all people controlling things. It's difficult. But you know what? She had the Holy Spirit in her, the power of God with that. So she'd been in one of these rough tent cities showing the Jesus film. One night as she left, a man came to her, grabbed her. She weighs only, I bet she doesn't weigh 90 pounds. Grabbed her, threw her up against the wall and attempted to assault her. For some unknown except the power of God, she was able to fight this man off. A motorcycle went by at that time. She rushed out and hailed that motorcycle man and said, can I jump on your motorcycle and can you take me where I need to go? And he did. Well, when I heard that, I was, my heart dropped as I thought what happened. And I said, well, what did you do? And she said, oh, Well, I went back the next night. She said there were a lot of people who hadn't seen the Jesus film yet, and they needed to know Jesus. I don't know, friends, if I'd have that much courage or not. But this is the power of God that can be so strong and is happening so much. One of the things that I love about working in, in, in the world is that we learn so much. God teaches us so much. It's not just us helping but it's equal. We are learning. We are growing from each other. And I know that's what you're doing in Babaco. You are growing from each other. But one of the times when I was in Haiti, there, as I said, people live very vulnerable lives. The, the elements are vulnerable and, and it's just, it's a very vulnerable place. And I was there and there was a big boating accident, a ferry accident, and probably the ferry was overloaded. And the ferry dumped over and hundreds and hundreds of people were killed. I went down to the port that night, 
And I listened as, as people were bringing in. They were bringing in the bodies that they had found alive, and they were bringing in the people that, they had, that did not make it. And I would hear the wails. I knew who had not made it. And then I'd hear the rejoicing of those that had made it. So I went the next Sunday morning to our Wesleyan church there. And I walked in, and I was stunned because it's a church that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And that was just the first section was filled. The pastor stood up, and the pastor said, well, most of our people aren't here today because we don't have embalming or we don't have, and he was speaking to us from the States, we don't have what you have. We have to bury our dead immediately. And so most of our people are out burying their family members today. And I thought, oh, my, what tragedy in this place. And he was weeping with all that they had lost from their congregation. And then he said, but the men's choir is going to come and they're going to sing what we believe and how God has helped us and what we believe about this tragedy. I was curious to know what that men's choir was going to sing. And as they came up, they began to sing an old, old hymn that probably only old people like me in this place know it. But they started singing this old hymn, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And there's a verse in that hymn, and they sang it so beautifully. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. I sat there that day. I still cry when I think about it. And wept. I don't know. Could I really say that if I had just lost all of my family members? And think this is God's love. But they taught me that day. Every day, no matter what your day is. Every day, he comes to me with new assurance. More and more, I understand his words of love. The vulnerable can teach us so much. And at the same time, you're partnering with them in, in your resources that you have to lift their life. And, and I love it that these children will be educated. Are you aware that 98% of children who are sponsored are not trafficked? We talk about human trafficking. If you sponsor a child, they are not trafficked. <laughs> Accountability is too great, so traffickers don't even mess with them. And I want you to know that God is at work in that world as well. And so as you are sponsoring these children, and a lot of trafficking happens in Haiti, these children will not be trafficked because of what you're doing. So if you're educating them, clothing them, feeding them, and keeping them from being trafficked, and they will become leaders. And I want to say that many children around the world today now are leaders in our area that have been sponsored. That's what you're doing, lifting that entire piece. Well, God is at work. I want to just give you this one little story, and then another one, and then I'm going to quit, okay? <laughs> Last April, I was invited to go to the country of Vietnam. Now, in the States, you know, we had a horrible war in Vietnam uh, 50 years ago, and no one's yet quite understood all that. And I always hate to say this in the United States, but uh, Vietnam won the war. You know, they don't, they don't like, we don't like to say that down there, but they won it. And uh, the interesting thing is Vietnam is a co communist country. Vietnam is a, it does not have religious freedom. It's number 10 on the list of persecuted Christians. 
But there have been some Christians that have been going in there and showing, literally, like the first church in Rome, showing what it means. And like you are, I love it that your 40 small groups are doing something in this community. That's like the church at Rome, too. I love that. Joel was just telling me about that. You're the church at Rome. You're the, new, you're the early church. And so the, got the intention of the prime minister. And the prime minister decided he'd like to have a conference. And he would like to have a conference on how Christianity can build a strong society. Now, I swallowed my tongue on that one. I thought, I can't believe this. So, and I was part of five people invited to go there. So we went there. And as we got there, prime minister of the whole business, it was a, it was a top level kind of thing. We began to talk about who Jesus was, was very clear about who Jesus was, what Jesus taught, how Jesus taught us to live, etc. There was one young man that they asked him to give his, his story, and he started telling his story. He was raised in East Los Angeles. He was part of a, a gang in, in L.A., East L.A. They murdered a man. He got a life sentence in prison. He went to prison. The chaplain came around and began to talk to him, and he found out that he'd never even lived in Los Angeles. He had never heard the name of Jesus. And so he had the name of Jesus, and he began to, became a follower of Jesus. He'd never heard it and became a follower of Jesus. Well, he said, my mind just exploded, and I thought, maybe I need to finish high school. So he finished high school. Then he said, I found out there was a college in here, and so he said, I thought, well, I'll just go to college. I'm here the rest of my life. Might as well go to college. So I went to college, and somehow, it was a Bible college, actually, and somehow, as he finished, I have no idea. He didn't tell us, but somehow he got the attention of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the governor of California at that time. Schwarzenegger came to visit him, and Schwarzenegger was so impressed that he granted him a reprieve after 16 years in prison. He got out of prison, and he went directly to a church in L.A. Happened to be a free Methodist church, actually, that he went to in L.A. He went to this church. The pastor realized, oh, my goodness, there's something different about this guy that just got out of prison than the rest of them. It wasn't long until he told him. He said, I want you to, I'm going to give you some people from my church, and I want you to go to the armpit of Long Beach, California. Now, that does not sound like a great place, does it? The armpit of Long Beach, California. I want you to go to the armpit of Long Beach, California, and I want you to plant a church. He did. So he took the people and went there. Well, since then, he's planted three more in the armpit of Long Beach. God's reviving, quote, unquote, the, long, the armpit of Long Beach. When he finished, we could ask questions. So somebody asked a question and somebody else asked a question. But right across the table from me was the highest intellectual man in the country of Vietnam. I could see him. He was shuffling his feet. Finally, he made this statement. Kind of raised his hand and he, his voice kind of quivered. And he said, this is the first time I have ever heard that religion could change a man's life. My friends, millions of people out there do not know that Jesus can transform your life. This was so powerful that we've been invited back again. And the government is really beginning to think about perhaps religious freedom might be a good idea in this country. Instead of persecuting Christians, what about opening the door and letting them in? This is the power of God at work, my friends. The power of God at work. Well, our Lord is always at work, and he wants to work in each of us as well. And so I was in Egypt about three years ago. And as you know, the Arab Spring some five years ago, millions and millions of people, or I mean thousands of people were killed in Tahir Square and all these kinds of things. 
And they were burning down uh, churches during that time and it, the, the revolution that took place. So I was there after that, and I was meeting with the pastors. And one of the pastors said, well, Joanne, you need to know that the Arab Spring broke our imagination of what God can do. Now, I was searching in my head. I understand that. I understand how that could be. All the suffering that they went through, I understand that. So I'm thinking, what are encouraging words that I could begin to give to our pastors there? And then, one of them said, I think you don't quite understand, Joanne, what we mean by this. Since the Arab Spring, four million Muslims have come to Christ. What we mean by this is God broke our imagination because it was too small. And I'm praying for you today that God will break your imagination because your imagination is too small. You see, in Ephesians, we have that great text that says, I want to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. That's the power of God in this, in this place, in this world that he wants to do. His power in you, he wants to do. You see, when you walk into the grocery store, it's a different place because you took the Holy Spirit in there. When you go into your school, it's a different place because you took the, Holy, the power of the Spirit in there. When you go into a restaurant, it's a different place because you took the power of the Spirit in there. He wants to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. I look forward to what God wants to do in Moncton Church when he breaks your imagination and it becomes his imagination. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place this morning. You are here. You are at work. You're moving in people's hearts and lives and minds. But Lord, we ask you this morning to break our imagination. Because when it's our imagination, it's, we're still tied to it. It's kind of like, well, if God doesn't come through, I'll probably figure out something. No, Lord, we're out here where we can't do it. Only if you come through. And so break our imagination, and may we have your imagination of all that you want to do through us and in us to bring the world to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't leave yet. I just want to ask uh, if... Dr. Lyon would pray for anyone here today sure. who, uh, I felt two things as she was finishing up. Uh, first of all, for those who maybe today, whatever you're going through, you have struggled to believe mm -hmm. that the power of God is real for you. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, for those today who have never surrendered their life to mm -hmm. Christ, who are here in this place. And you don't even know why you came today, but God brought you here for this reason. 
And so could you pray for uh, those today who maybe perhaps are seeking a special touch from God in their own lives, but especially, especially, especially for those who need Jesus. Could we stand together for this, this prayer? Those of you, you know that you came here and you don't know why you're here. Lord Jesus, you made it so simple. You've called us, you love us more than we've ever realized we could be loved. So I pray today for those who say, I want to be yours, Jesus. I confess I've tried to do it my own way. And today, I want you. And as that prayer is prayed, Lord, you're answering it. Even before we can almost pray it. So today, thank you for people that have prayed that prayer. Thank you. And then, Lord, I know that in a congregation like this, there are many, many, many who have come with weary, burdened hearts for family members, for personal situations, for jobs, for transitions that are taking place in their life that they don't know what to do. And so thank you, Lord, that you are answering those prayers right now. And you are saying to the people with those prayers, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Rest in me. I pray at this moment that those people will have peace in their own heart and that there will be peace that comes and that they rest in you. And then, Lord, the folks that prayed that first prayer, I pray that they will say to some, as they are, either can come to the front and pray afterwards and let someone know that that's what they did. Because, Lord, we need to move forward. You have more for, in store than they've ever dreamed. And, 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 Lord, one of the things I love is that when we were born, you had a story for us. But many times we've listened to somebody else's story for us instead of your story. So the people that have come to you this day, Lord, I thank you that you now want to live the story through them that you had in mind when they were born. And it's a glorious story. It's a story far beyond what they've ever dreamed because other people said they could never do this or couldn't do this or couldn't do this. But you're saying, no, 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 this is what I have in mind. So those of you who prayed that prayer at the beginning, I invite you at the end of this service to come forward with the prayer partners that are here at the front and talk to them and pray with them. Thank you for your presence. Amen. Amen.